The Morning Spotlight podcast is sponsored by Fidelity National Title Group, the nation's largest group of title companies and title insurance underwriters that collectively issue more title insurance policies than any other title company in the United States. If you have questions, need a quote, or want to place an order, shoot yours truly, the coolest guy in title insurance, an email, and I'll be happy to help. Check the show notes for my email address. Good morning and welcome to the Morning Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Ham, coming to you as always from the Spotlight Studios here in Morristown, New Jersey. My guest today is the preeminent authority of dream realization, a believer that dreams can and should be real. He left corporate America when he realized that his role offered financial gain, but little significance. He's the founder and head coach of Myers Method and has been featured in Black Enterprise, Business Insider, and numerous podcasts, including the Morning Spotlight now, so add that to your list, uh, or check it off the bucket list, I guess. Uh, Since leaving corporate America, he has developed a system for exiting uh, corporate America and in creating a life impact. Today, he and his company help other Apex performers find their calling and live every day in purpose by harnessing the power of his model for a centered life, which he calls the red pill. He is Jerome Myers. Jerome, welcome to the show. Mike, this one's been a long time coming. Long brother. time coming. Excited to be with you, man. Yeah, Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Like I'm, I'm really excited because we've we've run across each other a couple times. I think at like Podmax events um, and some yeah, other yeah. places. And then we were supposed to record this back in December, I think. And then I had a reschedule, and now here we are, middle of February, finally getting it done. Um, but I'm pumped because I've seen your stuff like on LinkedIn. I've seen your stuff all over the place, and I'm just like so pumped to talk to you about uh, talk to you about all these things. Um, um, and I know like, at the beginning I was like, oh, it's going to be like a lot of real estate stuff, which I know we're going to get to, but there's so much more to Jerome Myers that than just that, which I think is really cool. Um, but, uh, so let's, let's start with, um, kind of the, the corporate America side. So like, what were you doing? Um, and what we'll kind of take it from there. Then we'll kind of build the story out as we progress through the episode. Yeah. Most people don't actually care about this part. This is good. So <laughs> I poorly trained as an engineer. I worked for a power company for a few years, left that, moved into an engineering consulting firm, smaller group, about 800 people, left there after being asked to commit timesheet fraud and went to a large company, had about 30,000 employees. And at that one, I had global responsibilities for an engineering group. Spent some time in Africa, met some really cool people from around the globe. And then my phone rang about a year later and said, hey, we got this amazing opportunity. We'd love for, to talk to you about it. Guys flew in from all over the country, like, here's what's happening. Yeah. And a few weeks later, I was working for a company. I was employee number two in the division, and that was January 13th. By September 30th, there were 175 people on my team. Wow. By the end of the year, we did $20 million in revenue, 30% profit margins, and our charge was... Securing real estate rights, taking uh, overhead power lines, designing them as an underground system, and then actually constructing those. And we did that. At one point, we had about 200 concurrent projects happening across about a 3,000-square-mile territory. And my reward for helping the company make $6 million was getting the opportunity to lay off about half my team. And... 
I got the information that that was going to happen on December 24th at 4.55, and it just did something to my soul. Yeah. And so I promised myself I'd never do that again. And we put Humpty Dumpty back together. We got the new team. We're lean. We're mean. We do another $20 million in revenue. And before it's all said and done, I realized that I'm going to have to lay people off again. And I was like, yeah, this isn't for me. Right. This isn't what I signed up for. And I reconciled it the first go around by saying, oh, yeah, you know, it's just the business. They made me do it. This isn't this is against my morals, but I got to do what my job tells me to do. The second go around, I realized that I actually had agency. I had a choice. I had the opportunity to make a decision. And I exercised my decision at that point. Yeah. So talk to me about like that decision, because that's that's a big thing. You know what I mean? Because like it's it's one thing. I mean, like to me, that's just I didn't know that about you. And it's a crazy story to kind of build that out, build that team. Like I would assume get connected to a lot of these people and then have a really good year. And I'm sure everybody's all jacked up and pumped up and like, this is great. And then they're like, all right, now you got to get rid of, you know, like the group that helped you do that. Um, so obviously that must have been a gut punch the first time. So talk to me about like the like the intestinal fortitude that I took to just be like, nope, we ain't doing this. We, I'm not doing this again. Yeah, I mean, the reality of this situation is I, I knew that there was a risk of that. Anytime you go into construction, it's part of being in the construction business. Right. The thing that I didn't want to happen was I didn't want to be numb to it. Yeah. I, I didn't want to ever lose the fact that I'm sitting across from a human who may have made decisions because they saw upward mobility in the opportunity that we were providing for them and telling them that, you know, we've got nothing left for you to do here. Yeah. Yeah. And knowing that I, I saw the PLs, the PL was mine. I know that we put six million dollars in the bank and we distributed that to shareholders and the thing, right? And so now I'm looking at this person who's making thirty to fifty thousand dollars, depending on what they were doing, and knowing that you know six hundred dollars is a meaningful amount of money for them. Yeah. So yeah, what it did, I consider that a traumatic event. Some people may say I'm being dramatic, but for me, I was the guy who had a reputation of caring too much about the team. Right. The question was, Jerome, can you make the tough decisions when it really gets down to it? And I feel like I could, right? Yeah. If something actually had to be. Like if it's warranted. Yeah, be, right. Yeah. But I, I felt like I, I could be more creative. I felt like there was a way to problem solve. You know, we figured out how to put all this wire in the ground. We figured out how to get people to give us rights across their property without paying them any money. You would think that I could figure out how to reallocate talented people that we spent time training and doing leadership development for, and I can keep running down the list. And this was, you know, a pivot point or really an anchor point in the business. It was something we wanted to do more of. And so, you know, for me, it just did not make sense. I wanted to be able to do something else. And so, you know, we keep walking down that path and I realized, look, man, Jerome, you, you talk to the guy that you report to once every other week, you see him once a quarter you think you're in control, but you're not. Right. Right. When it really comes down to it and the rubber meets the road, he's calling the shots. Yeah. As, as good as you may feel about whatever you've done, he's calling the shots. And so with that as 
my understanding, I realized that I needed to exit the matrix. I, I needed to make a decision to actually be in a situation where the buck stops with me. Right. Yeah. Cause I would imagine like also playing into that, not, I mean, obviously having to do that to the team that you help build is one thing, but then like kind of what you were just saying, like it's, it would be pretty easy for you to wind up on the wrong side of that table too. And like have no control of what your future is. You know what I mean? Like I would imagine that could play a, a part in like the decision-making process and kind of what led to, you know, you leaving and, and doing the the next stuff. Yeah, one thousand percent. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about what the next step was. So you decide you don't want to do this. You said exit the matrix, which I love all the matrix stuff. Red pill. We're going to get to that eventually. Um, but uh, so like, what's the next step for Jerome? Like, where does he go next? <laughs> he sets the boats on fire. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite and thing. Burn the boats, baby. Burn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he watches them burn in the in the bay from the beach. Yeah. And then he looks and he realizes he doesn't have a house and he doesn't have any plants plants to get food from and he doesn't even have a gun to shoot the animals. So he's like, okay, I'm going to go buy an apartment building. And so I go knock on the door at the bank. Hey, don't you want to give me a million dollars to go buy this 23-unit building? Yeah, why would we do that? Well, I just got done running a $20 million business. So what? We have 30% profit margins. Yeah, okay. I got an MBA. Uh, so I'm a licensed engineer. Yeah, we don't care about that. Yeah. Six Sigma Master Black Belt. And I keep running down a list of credentials because I got enough letters to spell the whole alphabet. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, we don't care about any of that. I said, so what do you want? Uh, we want to know that you've executed a business plan on a property of similar size before successfully right and if you've done that then we'd love to lend you money but if you haven't then you need to go find a partner and what i realized was when i was sitting on a student my buddy duran and this idea of an apartment complex came up when we were sophomores in college i hadn't done anything to change my network to get in a place where i would know somebody that actually owned an apartment building and so i said this can't be the actual rule like right. i got a 800 credit score people are going to give me money yeah. <laughs> and so I went to the next bank and they told me the same thing. And then after eight more attempts, I realized that I was a crazy one. That is how it actually works. And so I had to do a pivot. And so I started fixing and flipping houses. Did that. I'm sitting on the stoop of a 90,000 square or $90,000 rehab on a 1920s, 2000 square foot brick home. And a guy pulls up in his white Dodge Ram. He says, Hey, Jerome. Let me check out the finishes. Well, he didn't say Jerome. He said, hey, bud, because he didn't know my name. Yeah. Hey, hey, bud, let me check out the finishes. I was like, yeah, come on. I'm proud, right? Because yeah. somebody wants to see what we're doing. Right. Say, so, yeah, we're doing one down the street. I need to make sure that we're going to be comparable to whatever you're bringing to market. And so he walks through. Hey, man, you took out these walls and you got the island and you got the sink in the island. Like most people don't do that. And look at this granite. It's gorgeous. Walks upstairs. Goes through the bathroom, checks it out. He's like, man, that's a nice tile. Pretty good work here. Coming back downstairs, he's like, okay, well, thanks. And he stops in the threshold, and he turns, and he looks, and he says, hey, do you know anything about that building behind the Chimbo Mart? The Chimbo Mart? Yeah. I said, yeah, the 23-unit apartment building. He's like, yeah. I'm going to make an offer on that this evening. I was like, you are? Yeah, man. I'm going to. I said, so you got experience. Yeah. Because when I went to the banks, when I tried to buy that four or five months ago, they said, I need experience. He said, yeah, we know a little something. He started shrugging and turning red. I was like, look, 
don't leave me out the deal. This is you're the guy I've been looking for. They told me I need an experienced partner. He's like, well, what are you going to bring to the table? I said, look, man, I don't know. We'll figure that part out. Just don't leave me out the deal. You're the guy I've been looking for. This didn't happen by chance. Yeah. He said, well, what are you going to bring to the table? I said, dude, listen, <laughs> we'll figure that part out. Yeah, Just right. don't leave me out of this deal. I, yeah. I've been waiting for, I've been looking for you. And he asked me again and I still didn't answer him. And he got frustrated, shook his head, walked out, walked through the grass, hopped in the truck, drove off. And I'm like, this is about to happen. This is phenomenal. So that was a Wednesday. I was like, Thursday evening, he'll call me Friday morning. Thursday came and went, nothing. Friday came and went, nothing. I was like, okay, well, maybe they just need to negotiate through the weekend. And he'll hit me on Monday. Monday comes, and I'm sitting there on the stoop. And I'm like, he doesn't even have my phone number, and I don't even know the guy's name. Yeah. The rest of the week goes, still nothing. Then the following week, I get a phone call on Tuesday. He's like, hey. Like, what's up, man? It was not the guy that I expected to call. He was like, I got the opportunity to be a general contractor on that project we talked about five months ago. It's like, you did? Yeah. And this is a guy I used to lend money to when I was in corporate America. He was a contractor, a, fix, a rehabber, a fix and flipper. And he's like, I told him I was only comfortable doing it if you were involved in the deal. It's like, that's solid. Yeah. And so we do the deal. Um, and from there, I was the asset manager. got my name in the paper. Banks started reaching out. They wanted to know you know, what else we had in pipeline. Ooh. Right. Now, now you're their best friend. <laughs> best friend. They want to take me out to lunch. They, they want to show me what products they have to offer. And I'm like, I'm the same guy that didn't know anything like a week ago. Like you, you wouldn't yeah. give me any money. He's right. Like, well, we want to refinance the property when you get done with your construction. Just let us know what we need to do. So I, I, I built some relationships off of that. And instead of buying more in Richmond, Virginia, I came back to North Carolina. This is where, I was born and went to college and came back to the town I went to college in and we started buying here and we've got this really crazy ambition to be one of the largest housing providers in the city. Okay. Yeah, that's awesome. Was there a reason why like you went from what you were doing into real estate like that? I it's funny you bring that up. Nobody's ever asked me that question. I love getting that response from a question. Yeah. Logical. It was it's a very logical progression for most people. So my buddy and I, we were 19 years old. We're sitting on a suit. We're trading Black Enterprise magazines, Rob Report, Worth. We're, we're talking about how we're not going to trade our time for money when we get older. Now, we didn't know how to do that. But what we did know is that the guy who owned our apartment complex was paying seven, making $700,000 a year top line. Yeah. We never saw him. We never talked to him. Right. right. Now, I'm the son of a soldier and a stay-at-home mom, so I didn't have people coming over to the cookout that have multi-million dollar real estate portfolios. So I didn't have a direct connection to this thing I wanted to do. And even through my matriculation through corporate America, I still didn't meet anybody that was doing the thing. But what I decided was that I was going to create a life for myself where I didn't have to trade time for money and that that guy had figured out 700,000 and I feel like I could figure out 70,000. Yeah. Right. Through real estate. And so I, I was hell bent on actually executing that thing that I thought I could do when I was a college student. If, if I didn't do it at this point in my life, I didn't know when I was going to be able to do it. Right. Yeah. I feel like that, you know, after 
like the the job and leaving that and like trying to like you said i mean if you're not going to do it now then like when are you going to do it and i think that's that's something that a lot of people that we have on the show that are in real estate that i talk to them because a lot of people that listen to this show are between the ages of 25 and 35 um, so like they're either new to it, they're interested in it, a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, so I think like a lot of the times we have people on, it's like, if you don't start now, like when are you going to start? You know, you're just wasting time basically waiting for it to actually like matriculate into something. Um, then take me through kind of like the progression of that. So like you, that first one happens, you get the call from the GC and then take, take me through like, you know, that point kind of till now and kind of the maybe successes that you've seen and kind of where you're at now as compared to where you were when you first started. Yeah, it's funny. I, I get anxious about talking about successes. I love <laughs> to talk about failures, but the successes. <laughs> yeah, we love so we love we happy that. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I just think people learn more from the failures. Oh, yeah, I definitely but, agree it, with that. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll definitely indulge you here and I'll probably make it as short, as sweet as possible. So we did the that deal in Richmond, I came down, started a direct mail letter campaign in Greensboro. We bought a deal. We bought two properties off of one owner. That was the first one. And that was in July of 2018. And then we put another one in, under contract in, uh, let's call it October, November of 2018. We closed that in February. And then we did another one in the fall of 2019. And then come back around 2020 we were working on three deals in the spring it was a 233 a 66 and a 50 one of the people who came through our coaching program bought the 50 for about half a million dollars more than what we were negotiating it for the 66 we backed out of it because our partners said they didn't want to buy anything when people had masks on and then the 233 we were like one yes away from actually capturing that deal. But what happened when the mask came on or went on because of COVID, the majority of people who I was do deals with, I'm not really, I'm not a syndicator. I, the majority of my deals are joint ventures. Right. Said they didn't want to buy anything with that level of uncertainty in the marketplace. And they wanted to wait and see. Yeah. And in watching what's happened with them, they haven't bought any deals. They're still in the process of looking. Yeah. And so, we we haven't bought anything since the fall of 2019, but we've been working on a development deal. And so we have a project that's about 120 units that we're looking to, to build here in East Greensboro. Okay. And it'll be one of the first projects that have been built since the late 1980s in that sub market and yeah so we get really excited about that but even that one's not went as smooth as we would have loved for it to go like right. we got to a place where we were ready for it to happen and then construction prices spiked and we went from you know less than one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a door up to like a hundred and ninety thousand dollars a door to actually get the thing built and the rents didn't grow that much and yeah. so it's difficult to build in that situation and the majority of the people I know are really, really conservative. And so they're not going to risk their net worth, their sure. liquidity, and with the hope that maybe rents will get to the place they need them to be on the backside. And so we've pressed pause. We're waiting for things to kind of get equal yep. where it's, you know, the rents are at the right rate and the construction amounts at the right rate so that we can move forward with the project. But 
those are the things that, you know, we've been working on and that's kind of the progression. I, I think the majority of the folks who have a real portfolio are net sellers right now and they are taking those gains and they're putting them in places where they feel comfortable being able to redeploy when whatever correction happens, happens. Yeah. So before you answered that question, you were talking about failures. So now you've piqued my interest. Um, so can we, is there like a story you like to tell about like that time frame that just like is a, is a significant moment in your life maybe that would fall into that category? Man, I mean, there's so many things that happened in the past three years uh, from a pivot point standpoint. I think the thing that's probably most interesting is when you're, think that you're going to be free from real estate, you got to understand one, that the vast majority of your income is going to come from acquisition fees. Right. If you're playing the multifamily game. And so if you don't close deals, you don't get paid. And I literally told you about three deals that all should have closed yep. in the first half of 2020 that did not close. So all of that income, all of the time, all of the inspections, all of the modeling, all of that went didn't get compensated. Right. Right. So just for the people who want to get out of the space, you got to know they want to get out of corporate America, want to get into real estate. You got to know how risky it is to be in a situation where you have to do a deal to make money. Right. And you know, the brokers, they sign up for that. But as an investor, you don't, you have to deal with the consequences of that. Right, a broker can do a deal and he doesn't care whether the person on the backside makes money or not. Yeah. Right. As an investor, if you do a bad deal, you can end up writing a check for something that you thought was going to make you money. And that is never fun. Right. Yeah. Losing money, I would imagine, is not fun and not the uh <laughs> not the way to go about doing that kind of business. Yeah. But um yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I, I, if, if I continue down the path, you know, we still have a portfolio. We operate a portfolio. And I, I've learned a lot. I think COVID has really made it very clear to me that people who don't really focus on operations aren't going to be in the game long term. Yeah. If, if an investor doesn't know what it takes to run their units, if an investor doesn't have adequate capital reserves, if an investor buys something at too high of a cost basis, they expose themselves and anybody that they partner with to an extreme amount of risk. Right. Extreme. Yeah. And most people have no real understanding of the downside because we don't talk about them. Right. Mike, I mean, everybody talks about how they make money on every project every single time, but I've had people in my units who there's one lady in particular I know she hasn't paid any rent out of her bank account since December of 2019. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I would like to do that until, with my rent for sure. <laughs> up until three weeks ago, she owed us $8,000. Right. And then the rent relief check came in and that was a second round of funding that she got. But to know that, some people, and she actually has a job and she is making the money that she needs to make to actually be able to pay her rent. To know that people are willing to do that and take advantage of the fail safes that have been put in place to make sure that the 
underserved, underrepresented, under picked the thing, undercapitalized, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It, it does something to you and your core, especially for us, because when we buy something, we're buying it because we want to improve it. We want to make an impact in the lives of the people who call the property that we own home. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that must be f- certainly frustrating and definitely part of like that whole process. Um, also, I like, you know, I know we're talking about a lot about real estate stuff, but one of the, a lot of the things that I see you posting, especially on LinkedIn, because that's, that's why I see you the most, um, is like the Myers method. We, we mentioned the uh, matrix thing before, uh, the red pill. Like I see that all the time on the, on that. So talk to me about like that. Like what is the Myers method and then kind of how did that start? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's the best question, Steve. So my buddy, <laughs> Dr. James Bryant, uh, he, we, we were going into like the third or the, I think it was the third deal. And he was like, Hey man, we're using the Myers methods on this one. I was like, what are you talking about? He said the Myers methods. And he's just a jovial guy. He's always in good spirits. I've ever, never actually seen him sad. And he's like, yeah, the Myers methods. He said, we find fun, fix and flip deals. He said, find fun, fix and flip deals. He's like, yeah, think about it. You go out, you find them, you got all the different methods, you find stuff on LoopNet, you mail people, you call people, you do all the things. Then we put a business plan together. We put our team together between the property manager, anybody else who's going to own the deal. Then we execute the business plan. Even if the property manager argues with you about whether or not the business plan is what we should be doing after we close, when we give it to them before we close. Right. And then you refinance it or you sell it. Find fun, fix flip. I was like, I, I, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Myers Brothers. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. All right. And he said, look, we are going to change the face of wealth because I'm tired of going to conferences and seeing representation that makes it seem like nobody other than 35 to 55 year old white men do this business. I said, what do you mean? He said, we're going to show people that we are actually having success doing this. Yeah. And we're going to create platforms so that those people can have exposure to other people. Because if we just continue to go to the places that we've been going to, we're never going to get anything different. Right. Oh, and so we go on, start going down this path of we create the Mid Atlantic Multifamily Investing Conference, which we brag about being the most diverse lineup of speakers that you can get in the country. And no, we're, we're not bringing the economists in for Marcus and Millichap, but we are bringing in, we might bring in the girl who did a six unit deal who lives in New York, but she bought in the Lehigh Valley because that deal makes sense. Yeah. We will bring in uh, Sophia Castro, who, sold her business with her husband for a billion dollar valuation. And she was a high school dropout. And now they've got like a half a billion dollar real estate portfolio that pays for them to live. Yeah. And we're going to give you everything in between those two. Right. So that regardless of where you are, you no longer have an excuse on whether or not you believe that your dreams in real estate can be real. Because part of my issue when I got into the space was I wasn't telling anybody what we were doing. 
like I was just trying to execute. I was doing the deals. Yeah. Take it full circle. When I go back to my job in corporate America, my entry level job and, you know, the first few years, I worked at corporate headquarters. It was a 17,000 employee company. And there was one African-American executive out of the 88 executives that we had. Wow. And I would see Craig and I would say, hey, Craig, you inspire me. You make me believe that it's possible for me to run a business unit here, man. Whatever you do, don't give up. Keep fighting the fight. I, I don't know what you have to deal with in order to do your job, but you inspire me. Keep doing it. And I was like, it's my opportunity to be Craig for somebody, for yeah. somebody who grew up like I did. Like, I, my dad jumped out of airplanes for an extra $200 a month so I could have cliques for sports and yep. we could go out to that extra dinner, right? I I regret that he did that these days because I see how much pain he's in from his arthritis, but we didn't have a whole lot. You yeah. know what I mean? We, I, I never worried about if I was going to eat while I lived at home. College was kind of a different story, but while yeah. I was at home, I never <laughs> right. worried about if right. I was going to eat. Or right. Which one we're going to drink, to basically. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> at least for me. You know, yeah. go, to the, go to the higher level. It's like, man, like the level of sacrifice that he made in order for me to have the experience I had. And then to buy my mom's freedom, basically, so she didn't have to go to work and yeah. she could make sure that I didn't get in trouble and do stupid stuff. Like, that was a brilliant experience for me. But I had the opportunity now to show people that, like, you don't, like, I'm, I'm a former football player, man. I, I got bra, bra string, bra bra strap length hair. You got visible <laughs> tattoos. Like, where do you see that guy speaking at a multifamily investing Not normally. or any other real estate conference? Yeah, right? right. And so for me, it's important for people to see that because there are people who look similar to me who have these ambitions. Yeah. And if you don't ever see anybody doing it right or wrong, you may believe that it's not possible for you. And so we wanted to break and bust and eradicate those stereotypes. Yeah. So that people would, one, be comfortable partnering with folks, and then, two, just giving them that spark, giving them that inspiration. And so, to, what I, but what I found, this is the sticking point, and a big part of the reason why I've got an issue with a lot of the educators in the industry is most people aren't ready for the pressure that comes with doing these deals. Yeah. Most people aren't ready to add a few hundred thousand dollars or a couple of million dollars of debt into their world. And so the red pill comes in from because it's a model where you can set your life up in a way where you can add more to it. You can actually live the life of your wildest dreams and the all the pressure that comes with that. Yeah. And so, you know, it's got six layers. It starts with self-image. And then from self-image, we go to relationship. From relationship, we go to work. Those three things create all the stress in your life, right? Yeah. And if you are not handling those well, right, if you are not minimizing the stress, managing the stress, then you go do something self-destructive and it impacts your health, which is level four. Right. And people are like, what do you mean self-destructive? Uh, well, the last time you said I need to do something to take the edge off, I, I suspect that you didn't go for a run or go <laughs> with it. No, you definitely probably not. didn't go do <laughs> yoga. You probably didn't yeah. meditate. Right. You, you probably did something that 
hurt your body. Yeah. Right? It might impact your kidneys. It might impact your lungs. I, I don't know what you did, but taking the edge off typically means I'm going to do something that's not helping my body get into peak performance condition. Yeah. And so we want to figure out how to manage and mitigate the stress, then start working on health. From health, you go to prosperity. And I do prosperity after health because if you do prosperity before health, and everybody knows this person, you'll spend all the money that you make in order trying to get your health back. And I just don't like to see people go backwards. Yeah. So those five things leads to what I call self-actualization, right? And then some people think that's the pinnacle, but I believe there's one level more, and it's called transcendence. And in our model, that is signified by success, or I'm sorry, significance. We believe the only true success is significance. It's your opportunity to be immortal. And in your immortality, it's not because your physical body stays forever, but your impact spreads beyond where you are and whether or not you're walking the face of the planet. Yeah. And everybody that I know finally gets to the point where they want to have a positive impact on the world outside of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. The first part of that I love because like we've had people on there talk about like um, uh, on this show, uh, one in particular that I've echoed a lot on this show is like somebody like Everyone has a story and somebody needs to hear it. And I think that like, you know, you doing that is really important because like you said, I mean, if somebody doesn't see someone that is like them doing what you're doing, they're like, well, that must be impossible. There's nobody doing like doing stuff like that. You know what I mean? And then like, it just takes someone to just be like, I'm going to do it. But then like, if you don't share that with other people, then, you know, you're just kind of like continuing that um, void. I don't know if void is the right word, but it could be, it could be the right word. Um, and just like, you know, kicking the can down the road for the next person to take the mantle and do something like that. So I love that. And then also that whole red pill thing I think is awesome. So the, that, that obviously could apply to much more than what you're just talking about, like in the real estate industry. Right. I mean, that, that goes well beyond all of it. So are you like getting in touch with like different people beyond like your immediate sphere of influence in the real estate world? Yeah, so I I did a really hard pivot in 2020. I thought, man, look, I I really want to get back to the thing that I enjoyed most in corporate, which was the development of people. Yeah. And the opportunity. And and yeah, it is opportunity. The opportunity to positively impact the lives of other people is why I'm on the face of the planet, right? Yeah. I, I want everybody that I interact and engage with to be better off because of our exchange. And so I said, well, what can I do? And so in January of 2020, I did four coaching calls. In December of 2020, I did 56. In 2021, I did about 750. Holy moly. Right? Yeah. And people were getting results. I mean, And some folks have been very public about the transformation that have happened. Other people have kept that quiet. At the end of the day, I don't really care whether or not people know what happened. But there's at least one person who went from $45 million in real estate transactions to over 90. Yeah. Right. And that for me is super exciting because while it didn't change their income all that much, what it did change was their net worth. And so there's all these things 
And when I actually spend time with people post-mortem after we accomplish whatever the dream is, yeah. what we find is the impact, like the money's nice, the, the improvement in health is nice, but it's those bottom three areas, the ones that create all the stress where they really get the rubber meat in the road. Yeah. They feel better about themselves. They feel worthy. They don't feel like they have to achieve in order to deserve love. They don't feel like they have to put a mask on to go into the workplace because they're very clear about their morals and values and they live those out through their actions. People who were just using them no longer are a significant part of their life because they've either reframed those relationships so they're mutually beneficial or they've ended them. Yeah. And that for me is the promise. The promise is always you'll make more money, you'll enjoy your life more. And if I can do that for people and do it at the right level for them, then I'm actually walking in purpose and living out my mission. Yeah. And so I, I did do that. And so what I say now is I help female physicians and financial services professionals. And that allows the people who are in real estate who are placing capital to fit into the bucket. And then also the people who are doing other assets. Like if you're running stocks and bonds or you're doing insurance sales or you're doing insurance for like uh, like property and casualty. Like yeah. the, all those folks fit into that bucket because the they make pound for pound, they make more money than anybody else in the country and they are not happy because they get to the top of the ladder and they realize it's on the wrong building. Yeah. More so than anybody else. And they do it at a younger age. Right. Right. I, I, I work with a guy now who... You know, he makes, you know, $300,000 a year. He's 30, right? For a lot of, and he, he doesn't live in like New York or California. And for a lot of people, that type of money at that age is like unfathomable. But for other people, depending on the industry and medical sales, financial services, you can make that and make that on a bad year. Yeah. So helping those folks who figured out how to make money, but really want true fulfillment in life is the game. I, there's a whole lot of people who will say, I can teach you how to make money. I, I don't, that doesn't excite me. In fact, you asked me about learning lessons. Um, when I left corporate, one of the things that I wanted to do was never be in a position where I was doing things for money again. Yeah. Right. I wanted to be in a position where I was making true impact and making things better. Right. Not just trying to figure out how to put more money in my pocket. And so when I got to this place, I didn't want to go serve people who were just trying to figure out how to make more money. Yeah. Like that, that's not the game. That's, there's nothing fulfilling about that. Right. So talk to me about that too. And this is my last question before we get to our closing segment, because I think this is going to round it out very nicely. Um, so like I, like I said, I've seen, I've seen your stuff. So I see kind of like what you do and the way that you talk about this stuff and all that. So I would imagine that you're living this, like the stuff that you're helping people coach, because otherwise you'd be a total hypocrite and I would have never had you on my show. Um, but, uh, but talk to me about like, maybe like if that's kind of the way that you're going through life, like being able to kind of, um, was it difficult to like, um, quantify isn't the right word, but just kind of like put it down be like, these are things that are important to me. And then try to like build out like this, the Myers method, the red pill idea, like all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's all, so I'm the guinea pig, right? Okay. I experiment on all this stuff and then I look back and I say, well, what worked? Because there's 
whether we like it or not, we're always comparing ourselves against our peers, whoever we consider our peers to be. Yeah. And when we arrive at a destination before them, we want to know why. Yeah. If we arrive at a destination after them, we really want to know why. <laughs> yeah. What, I, what I found, what I found is, and it's funny because one of my mentors gave me the greatest gift. They gave me my first coach when I was uh, a year into my career. And I realized that my salary was changing more rapidly than my peers. I, I broke a hundred thousand dollars when I was 26. I realized that my responsibility was growing faster than the people I graduated college from. And there wasn't a whole lot that I could point to being different other than the fact that I had a coach and I had a mentor and they were creating opportunities for me that I couldn't create for myself. Yeah. And I was doing a pretty good job for the company that I was working for. So using that as kind of the framework, there was always this self-reflection and continuous improvement, the sharpening the saw that they talk about in the seven habits of highly effective people. And when you're reflecting and then sharpening and reflecting and then refining, you, you can get to a very, very, I'll call it a good place because I'm not very eloquent right now. <laughs> and you can see the steps that you took to get to the thing. Right. Everybody's got those three pivotal, pivotal moments in their world where they realize that they made this key decision and it took them down this path and they could have went somewhere else and it would have created a totally different life for them. Yeah. There's three in everybody's life and they get replaced depending on the significance of the events that happen after. But when you take the time to do that post-mortem reflection, you can find some of the most amazing patterns and then to be able to codify that and then share it with other people really cements it for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. It kind of gives you something to like, you know, see like a tangible, like touch it, try it, do it. I love that. Um, I've, this episode has been amazing and I would love to talk to you for the next like three days straight, but, um, I know that we all have stuff to do, but, um, so we're going to move the show into our closing segment, which we call under the spotlight. So the spotlighters have been listening to Mike Cam and Jerome Myers talk for a little over 40 minutes so far. Um, and we've talked, covered a lot, your background, your career, your real estate endeavors, the Myers method, the red pill, the matrix, all that kind of stuff. Uh, what would be one thing that you would want the spotlighters to walk away from this episode with? So you're under the spotlight. Your dreams should be real. If you made it to this point of the podcast, we said something that sparked your interest, right? Maybe you were inspired. And my role at Dreamcatchers is to be the chief inspiration officer. And so it's my hope that you're inspired. And I just want to take that a step further. Inspiration is nice, but action is everything. So your dreams should be real. I don't care what people have told you up to this point. That is a statement of fact. That is a truth. Now, it's up to you to determine whether or not they will actually be real. Yeah. Your dreams can be your reality. What you have to do, though, is make it happen twice. First in your mind, then it shows up in the physical. And so I don't want people to be inspired. I don't want them to be motivated. I want them to go take action against that thing that has been placed in their mind or has been tugging at their heart saying, we need you to come do this. Because yeah. if you do that, you can potentially transform the world. Love that. 
Love that. And that speaks to me too. I think that's awesome. Um, yeah, this episode was epic. So I'm pumped that we finally got it on the calendar and got it recorded. Uh, so if people need more of you, more Jerome Myers, where can they go to get more of you? Yeah, the best place to go is JeromeMyers.co. We've got a ton of free stuff there. It's kind of the roadmap. You can pick your journey and just grateful for the opportunity to serve you and your community, Mike. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful that you were able to come on with us today, and I know that the spotlight is going to get a lot from this episode. Uh, so I'll make sure that I put JeromeMyers.co in the show notes along with TheMorningSpotlight.com and TheMorningSpotlight at gmail.com, the website and email address of the show. Uh, Jerome, again, thank you so much for doing this. Really pumped I was able to get you on today, um, and uh, thank you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. And the Spotlighters, thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. Just a reminder that any views expressed in the Morning Spotlight are the views of the speaker and should not be construed to be the views of any other person, any employer, or any organization. Thank you. We'll see you next week.